Matthew. Matthew 1. We'll pick up our uh, study through the book. Uh, We started Matthew last week. to grab it, you can also put a finger in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Um, Second Chronicles. Two Chronicles. Yeah. <laughs> Two Chronicles, yeah, not, uh, not Corinthians. <laughs> Chronicles, right? <laughs> the two chronic. <laughs> There's something wrong with us. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot wrong with us. We will pray again. But, um, <laughs> I'm always very nervous. So it helps alleviate some of that for me. <laughs> Matthew uh, chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read through the chapter, and then we'll pray. And then we're going to pick up in verse 18. We looked at the genealogy last week, uh, verses 1 through 17. So this week we'll look at verses 18 through 25. Because it's a couple weeks before Easter, so we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Matthew 1, 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. He's the son of David and the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, this is my favorite part, (laughs) Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab and Aminadab begot Nashon and Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. Uh, David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot uh, Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. You'll notice this section is the kings of Judah. Uh, Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, my favorite. 
Zerubbabel begot Abiud, and Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, and of course it's of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Messiah, or the Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ or the Messiah are 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus, our Messiah, the birth of Jesus, the Christ, was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, or Yeshua. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Uh, Let's pray, guys. Father, I'm really thankful as I think about, as I consider the um, part of Matthew that we're talking about right now. I'm thankful uh, for a lot of things, a lot of the things that uh, hopefully we'll talk about this morning. I'm really grateful. um, Lord, I'm really grateful that you sent a Savior. That you did, you did what was necessary, um, that you would rescue us, that you would demonstrate your love and your loving kindness to people who, who don't deserve it. We are, um, we are the sick people that need to be healed. And so you sent Jesus because you have loved us. So, Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Lord, would you take your word, the scalpel of the scriptures, and would you cut 
down into us and remove the things that, that are destroying us and hurting others. Would you continue to do that, Lord? Would you please refine and, and shift and, and transform who we are, that we would be more and more reflective of your grace and of your kindness, of your love, your mercy, of, of all that you are, Father, and less and less of, of, of our old man, less and less of, of the world system that's, that's made up of, of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Father, I thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord, make us the freest people. Please. And do it for your own sake, I pray. Would you please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So Matthew uh, 1, verse 18 is where we'll, um, where we'll pick up the text here. Um, the first part, as we've been talking about it, the first part of the uh, chapter there that uh, Matthew gives us is this evidence, if you would, that Jesus uh, has a rightful claim to the Messiahship of Israel, <laughs> okay? He, he refers to Jesus as Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Remember that Greek word uh, Christos is uh, the equivalent of the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah, so... Uh, they mean the one anointed by God. Okay. Um, so, uh, and, and you'll hear me when I read. I, I do purposefully change it when I read it because sometimes uh, we're in this mindset of, of reading Jesus Christ like it's his first and last name, like he's Mr. Jesus Christ, right? So, so I try and get us away from that a little bit when I'm reading through the text by saying Jesus the Messiah. You know, I, I try and do that on purpose. So, um, so that we get like the authors are saying this is his you know this is uh, his title um, anyhow he establishes that Jesus is both the son of Abraham and the son of David last week we talked about the reality that promises that God made were made to Eve that her seed would crush the head of the serpent and promise was given to Abraham that his seed one seed would bless all the nations of the earth right um, Paul picks it up in Galatians, and we, we uh, went over that last week. And then also the promise was given to David after he wanted to build a, a house for God, because remember God was in a tent, uh, and David was like, that's not cool, bro. I'm in this sweet, awesome palace, and God's out there in a tent. This was after they had finally settled Jerusalem. And uh, so he, it was in his heart to build the, the temple uh, but God wouldn't let him do it because he was a man of war. He had uh, bloody hands. Um, and so what David did was he made all the preparations. He got all the materials. He did everything else that he could, right? God was like, no, you can't build it. I'll let your son Solomon will build it. Solomon, his name actually means peace. Uh, and he was a uh, man of peace. His reign was one of peace, uh, much because of the stuff that David had uh, secured for him. But... Um, and we're going to look at that a little bit today, actually, when Solomon um, dedicates the temple. That's that Second Chronicles chapter 7 that I asked you to grab. That is sort of right after Solomon dedicates the temple, and we'll go over that a little bit. We'll look at that. Um, but so he's the son of David. He's the, because uh, God promised David that uh, he would make of David a dynasty that would never end, right? 
a kingly dynasty that would have no end. So the Messiah, the promised one by God to rescue humanity, was to come through Eve's seed, through Abraham's seed, and through David. And of course, Matthew begins his gospel by saying that um, Jesus, our Messiah, is the son of Abraham, and he's the son of David. And then he gives this genealogy in this nice sort of uh, uh, triple set of 14 generations, a total of 42 generations uh, there. Um, I don't know why. There's a lot of speculation as to why I mentioned last week. Maybe it was so that uh, whenever the gospel was being presented to Jewish people, they would say, well, who is Jesus, right? I mean, does is, is he have like a claim to the throne, right? Israel hadn't had a king in hundreds of years, right? And uh, Matthew is presenting Jesus as the rightful king of Israel, the Messiah, the, the promised one. So he begins with that uh, genealogy, because if Jesus is not the son of Abraham and the son of David, he also is not the Messiah, because God promised the Messiah would be son of Abraham, the son of David. So, um, <clears throat> verse eighteen. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah. I love how Matthew kind of breaks this up here a little bit. Uh, he said the genealogy of the Messiah is, and then he goes over that. And now he says, now the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and not, not to take too much time on this idea, but a uh, basic concept of betrothal is similar to what you and I might think of as engagement, except there is a greater uh, legal responsibility in, um, in Jewish culture. So if you're betrothed, the only way to end the betrothal is actually to have a written certificate of divorce. There's a legal responsibility, but during your betrothal period that may last a year or so, uh, you would not... Um, you would not have sex, okay? Uh, you would, uh, a husband would certainly take care of his wife. There were other things that would happen uh, during this betrothal, but you would not have sex, not until after the actual wedding ceremony, okay? And that's not the only thing, but it certainly was a primary thing. However, to get out of a betrothal, you did need a written certificate of divorce in order to end a betrothal. So Joseph, Joe, and Mary are betrothed. His mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. You guys know what that means, right? Right? Before they had sex, right? Uh, to use a word I used last week, before Joseph got some booty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now stop for a second before we move on to the next, <laughs> right? I know, I'm so embarrassing. Right. Uh, <laughs> So you get what's being said here, right? Before they were betrothed, they were in this legal, responsible relationship uh, with some legal responsibilities. But now she's pregnant. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. The phrase is so interesting the way that Paul uses it. It's like, there's a baby, (laughs) right? (laughs) How did this happen? Now, we kind of think that way um, whenever sometimes people say they're pregnant now. They're like, how did I get pregnant? Listen, folks, you know how you got pregnant, right? Like, uh, people don't just uh, pop up pregnant, right? But that, that is what's being said here, right? They're saying, this is crazy. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes, right? Joseph, you're betrothed to this woman, Mary, um, probably a young girl, we don't know uh, their ages, um, but you're betrothed to her, 
to be married. You have a legal responsibility to her. The only way to end this betrothal is to divorce her. And now she's pregnant. So a decision has to be made. Joseph has to think through some things, right? Joseph knows the baby's not his, right? I mean, you get that, right? Joseph's like, listen, lady, <laughs> we, we haven't slept together. I know the baby's not mine, right? Um, so uh, uh, the next line says, then Joseph, verse 19 says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away <laughs> secretly or to divorce her privately, secretly. But while he thought about these things, and I'm sure there was a lot of thinking going on on Joseph's part, okay? Because you got to remember things like this, like the law of Moses required that if a man and woman were caught in the act of adultery, they were to be stoned, right? Joseph knows that something else has gone on here. The baby's not his. He knows the baby's not his, you know? He's got to make some choices, some decisions about how to handle this. Does he then go and say, well, we, um, I know we, we weren't supposed to have a sexual relationship until after our, our wedding, uh, but uh, we did anyhow, and then take that kind of responsibility? You know, He has choices to make here, some things to think through. And the idea, certainly the idea of, of um, stoning was itself, uh, part of that whole concept was the idea of, of a public judgment, a public punishment for sin. And the idea was to turn evil away because when people saw someone publicly suffering or being executed for something, the idea was that they would realize, man, I don't want that for me. And so they would decide to turn away from it. God said over and over and over again in the law, particularly as it related to capital punishment, that uh, it was through that that Israel would turn evil away. You know. Um, So Joseph has some things to think about. It says, though, that he was a just man, and he didn't want to make her a public example. As I was reading through that, I thought about how um, exemplary that is of what it means to love someone. Um, Solomon wrote that love covers a multitude of sins. Think back to when uh, the story of Noah and the flood of Noah, when Noah, after the flood, after he makes a sacrifice to God, he, he sacrifices uh, these clean animals to God, then finally he's able to take some time and he plants a vineyard and he makes wine because, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and then he gets drunk and he's, he's doing something illicit, something that, I mean, we don't know exactly, but the language is, suggests that there's something suggestive and something wrong with Noah being naked in his tent. It's not a good situation there. And uh, his son Ham comes in and instead of uh, doing something honorable like protecting his father, uh, Ham goes out and just basically gossips to his brothers <laughs> Uh, about what their dad is doing and sort of rubs it in a little bit. Like, can you believe this? That's sort of the, the idea there of the story. But the other two brothers, Shem and Japheth, uh, what they do is they take a um, piece of cloth or a, a blanket and they put it on their shoulders, one on one shoulder and one on the other shoulder, and they back themselves into the tent. Okay, Because when you open the tent doors, Noah's nakedness is going to be exposed. Right, So they put this sheet between them, this blanket, and they put it on their shoulders and they back into the tent is the idea there. And they cover their father's nakedness rather than expose him. 
And now after Noah comes to and uh, realizes what happened and what, what is happening, um, a curse is pronounced on Ham and on Ham's descendants from that, from that point on. It's an interesting story, but it reminds me of this idea that love covers sin. It doesn't seek to expose and seek to tear down others' reputations in the eyes of someone else because you know something about somebody else. Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean that there should not be responsibility for sin. Listen, if somebody sins against you, you have the responsibility given by God to go to that person and say, yo, you sinned against me. What's going on here? Okay, And to be reconciled to your brother, to your sister, right? We have that responsibility. Or if somebody sins against us, we still have the responsibility to go to them. And I said that. If, if we sin against somebody else, if we know that somebody has something against us, sorry, this is the Matthew 5 through 7 there, the Sermon on the Mount passage. If we know that somebody has something against us, it's still our responsibility to go to them and say, hey, hey is there something between us? Is there something going on? Is there some, some area where I've offended you or I've hurt you and we need, to, we need to talk about this, we need to deal with this? I think that this is a right and good, important way that we handle things in our marriages too, right? Not just, not just other relationships, but man, we've got to do this in our marriages too. We've got to be people who communicate, and I think certainly about issues of offense and sin. And uh, Jesus taught us those lessons very, very clearly. Joseph, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example was mine to put her away secretly. As he thought about it, he said, you know what, I'll just, I'll get a divorce, but we'll just do everything privately, as secretly as we can. And I think this is an expression of Joseph's love for Mary. He loves her. He doesn't want her to be publicly shamed and humiliated. And I mean, I think that's really, really, really pretty. And I'm saying, in my own heart, I'm asking the Lord to, to continue to make me the kind of person that protects people like that, that loves them enough not to, uh, not to expose their nakedness, right? expose their sin uh, to others, but instead to lovingly cover them and protect them and deal with them directly if there are issues of, of sin um, and other things. Uh, if it's not an issue of sin, if it's just an issue of preference, like I don't like somebody, then I say get over it because... You belong to Jesus, and you don't really have the right to decide who you should like and shouldn't like. <laughs> but um, he just wants you to love whoever's close to you at any moment, right? Uh, that's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. So um, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now stop right there for a second. Now you're Joseph, and you're wondering about this whole situation. The woman you're betrothed to is now pregnant, and you know it's not yours, and you're wondering what to do, and you want to divorce her secretly, privately, and now you're asleep, and in a dream, an angel comes to you, and he's like, the angel's like, Joe, listen, dude, um, don't be afraid. Go ahead and marry Mary. <laughs> Go ahead and marry Mary. Um, it's fine because the baby that's in her is actually from the Spirit of God, <laughs> from God's uh, Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> You've got to have, uh, there has to be this wrestling of faith. Like, I don't know how many 
angels Joseph normally saw in his dreams? Uh, do you understand what I mean? Like, maybe this was the first time he had ever had a vision, a dream, in this manner. I don't know. But you've got to have, like, this internal wrestling, this turmoil of, like, okay, was that, did I just, like, eat too many tacos and, like... You know, is my stomach just upset and that's why I saw this thing, you know? I, I don't know. I don't know how, how vivid this was for him, but obviously, um, obviously Joseph took it to heart. And um, he believed the word that was given to him, that this child was, um, c- the child conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And verse 21 says, she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, um, I, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus, uh, this is just hopefully going to be a very brief point, but I want you to understand it because I, I used to get these um, little newspaper magazine things that were talking about like they were written by a cult group, but they were like, listen, if you call Jesus anything other than Yeshua or Yehoshua, then like you don't really know Jesus. I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, Dude, Paul actually saw the resurrected Jesus. And Paul wrote books in Greek and used the name Jesus, which is just the Greek, the Greek form of the, the Hebrew name Yeshua. You know, uh, spoken to a few people uh, that speak Hebrew and, uh, and read and, and uh, write in Hebrew. They say that his name, Yeshua, Yeshua is the normal or common Hebrew word for salvation. It's what the word means. It's the word for salvation. And of course, his name was to be Yeshua, for he would save his people from their sins. Listen, Israel hasn't had an oracle, a word from the Lord in like 400 years. (laughs) In a long time, they haven't. And there were issues where there was, uh, before this, the promises that had come to to. Uh, to Mary's relative who would give birth to John the Baptist. There were promises that were given to them, to Zacharias and Elizabeth. But now this. Mary's going to bring forth a son and you'll call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. It feels like this is such a weighted summary. His name is is salvation. He saves all who call on his name, the scriptures say. But like Paul writes in Romans, how can they call on him whom they haven't heard? How can they trust in him whom they haven't heard? And, And how can they hear unless someone preaches, unless someone tells them? And how can they preach unless someone is sent? she'll bring forth a son and you'll call his name Jesus I have heard the name of Jesus a lot I'm very familiar with it sometimes I need to sit and I need to just um Sometimes it's really good for me to just sit and think about this. He'll save his people from their sins. He will save them. And to ask this question, am I 
Am I his people? <laughs> Am I his people? He's a king. He's a master. He's Lord, which is the, the word that means master. And he saves his people from their sins. Sometimes I'm afraid that we, we glide so quickly through uh, some ideas or some concepts without sometimes letting them just sit with us. He will save his people from their sins. Every, every wicked thought that I've had, every evil desire... Every wrong word, every failure in the way that I've used my body, my eyes, my hands, He rescues, He saves us from our sins. If you've trusted in Him, then you belong to Him. He is your master, your Lord, your King. And He saves you from your sins by forgiving us the consequence of them eternally. Yeah. But He rescues us now from the power of sin as well. From being slaves to the things that, that at one time drove our lives. He rescues us now. He will save his people from their sins. May God just let it sink into us, that reality. So, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. All this was done that it might be fulfilled. This concept, this phrase is something that we're going to find either directly stated this way or something similar to it over and over and over and over again as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. Because what Matthew is doing is he's presenting Jesus as the fulfillment of the promises to the nation of Israel. And so he goes back to the Old Testament scriptures. He quotes the Old Testament more than any of the other Gospel writers. He directly quotes it and he says, this is how Jesus is the fulfillment of this. This is how the things in Jesus' life fulfill or keep or hold to uh, the promises that God has given, Jesus himself uh, teaches those things, and Matthew brings that out for us very directly in Jesus' teaching, as, and we'll see that over and over and over again as we go through the book here. But uh, keep in mind this idea, uh, that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, right? It was God who spoke through the prophets of Israel. 
This is the same idea carried by the author to the Hebrews who said in various times in different ways, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but he has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. And then he goes on through the rest of the book of Hebrews to show that Jesus is greater than everything that we saw in the Old Testament scriptures, greater than angels, greater than Moses, greater than the law, greater than the sacrificial system, greater than the Aaronic priesthood. He's greater than all of those things greater than any of the sacrifices that were made in Israel. That's what the book of Hebrews goes about to establish uh, quite wonderfully. Listen, God spoke through the prophets. We call this the Tanakh, <laughs> the Hebrew Old Testament. Okay, And he has in these last days spoken to us by his son. This is something that I repeat regularly for us. So what we have in the writings of the New Testament we have the teachings of the apostles that are recorded for us. Early in the book of Acts, we are told that the church continued in the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. The writing, writing of the New Testament, one of the requirements of the canon of the New Testament was that the book had to either have been written by an apostle directly or by a close companion to an apostle uh, who would have been able to have that apostle's authority. Um, I think that's really helpful and really important. Because God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, and he has in his last days spoken to us by his son. So what are the New Testament writings? They're the teachings of the apostles who were taught by Jesus. He taught them. And they um, are the ones who have the things recorded for us that they do, right? We can't say, well, we can't say, look at like a book like Matthew and say, well, we're just going to pay attention to the red letters, can't really say that because the whole book was not written none of the book was actually written by Jesus right it was all written by someone else <coughs> recording for us the things uh, that happened and the things that Jesus said and did and taught same authority as the writings of the apostle Paul and others uh, that uh, we have in the New Testament scriptures um, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. It's interesting, this quote from Isaiah 7 uh, is where this particular quote is found. And uh, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah here. Isaiah seven fourteen is the particular verse, one of the prophecies that uh, relates to the Messiah. Now, this is in relation to um, the kingdom being carried away into captivity and the king saying, essentially, I don't really know what's happening or I don't believe it. And so God says, I'm going to give you a sign okay, that God isn't done, that there's a remnant in Israel. And the sign was this, that a virgin would bear a son and they'd call his name Emmanuel, God with us what Emmanuel means, another Hebrew word. Now, as I mentioned last week, uh, the Hebrew word for a, used for a uh, virgin in Isaiah 7 can simply mean a young uh, child, uh, a young girl. Um, problem is, it would not be a sign for a young girl to get pregnant. That's totally normal, right? Um, the word used in the New Testament that Matthew uses here is a word that does uh, lead us toward the idea of this being a virgin, being someone who uh, had not 
uh, had sex with a uh, with a man. That's what makes it a sign. It's not something that's common. In fact, it's something that's quite uncommon. <laughs> something that's quite miraculous. I get that sometimes people struggle with things like miracles. Jesus healing the blind or uh, causing people who couldn't walk to be able to walk again. Uh, someone having leprosy being healed. Sometimes people struggle with, with that reality because it interrupts the normal course of life or the normal course of the way that things work. But that's exactly what a, what a miracle is. I get that it can be hard to wrestle with some of those things and to ask questions like, well, if miracles are true, why doesn't God just show us a miracle by causing, causing somebody uh, who is missing a limb to regrow their limb? Right? It's one that I've heard over and over and over again. You know, Well, that would really prove it. Would it? Uh, you know, what if we were able to, to use... Um, at some point to find a way to use stem cells to regrow limbs or something, right? <laughs> would we say, would we then say, well, you know, obviously, you know, this is just science, you know? <laughs> like, well, okay, but <laughs> is that not miraculous? I mean, my word, think about the little tiny computer you have in your pocket, it is a miraculous event. I mean, nobody could have conceived anything like that 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago. But regardless, once I've accepted that God created everything out of nothing, when I've accepted that as my baseline premise, that there is an infinite God who has existed forever without beginning, without end, and at some point he said, <coughs> create the earth. Create the heavens and the earth. And light be and light was. Once I've accepted that premise, that God can make something out of nothing, every other miracle is just Nothing. It's just simple. God can make something out of nothing. Okay? <laughs> um, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which is translated, God with us. God with us. This is where I'm going to come back. This is where we're going to focus here in, in just a sec. Oh, I've got, I've got like plenty of time. Come on. <laughs> Six minutes. <laughs> Wait, what now? <laughs> I think I should, I should slow down then. I've got a lot of time. <laughs> just kidding. I like Joseph's response to all of this. Joseph has this dream. He sees this angel. He's told that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. And Matthew's telling us this is in fulfillment of the, the prophecy of Isaiah 7, that the virgin would, would conceive. Um, I, I know that there are people that question the virgin birth, but you've got to at least be at a place to where you can say that Matthew is trying to teach us 
that Jesus was conceived uh, of a virgin. Like, you've got to at least be at a place where Matthew is saying that, right? So, so right, right, and Luke, and Luke as well. So, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Can't get any better than that. Whatever God says, do it. It's that life following Jesus is that simple. And yet, that ain't always so simple, is it? <laughs> right? <laughs> Sometimes it's not simple because we complicate it with lots of methods and lots of other things. We complicate it by trying to see the end of something before we step out in faith to do whatever it is that God has commanded us to do. Joseph, being roused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her, right? Listen, guys, know her, air quotes, right? Did not know her. Biblical no. You guys know what that is, right? Right. Did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus or Yeshua, as we mentioned earlier. Back up with me real quickly to this idea of God being with us, or God with us, of Emmanuel. Uh, This is one of my, I don't know how else to say it, it's one of my favorite ideas um, to talk about, because it's so vital to to how I live every day. Um... You know, I, I, maybe I talk about this a lot. I don't know. But maybe I don't, I don't know. So this last uh, pregnancy that Kelly and I had, you know, the ultrasound tech looks worried. She's trying to find the heartbeat of the baby, and she can't. And then she says, I need, I need to go get the doctor. You know, and she's, like, panicked. You know. And because um, she's not supposed to say She's just a tech. You know. um, so she goes to get the doctor, you know, and and I think, I think <coughs> Kelly and I both probably knew she said, she at that said, at that point. Did. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we knew. You don't want to accept it, you know. Like even with the, I'm always half try to be glass half full in most things where I'm like. There's always a chance, you know, like something, <laughs> maybe something, whatever, you know, uh, until, until you can't hope anymore. <coughs> and, uh, and, and I, for me, I, I'm just like standing there like, I mean, there's nothing to say. You just wait and cry. But it was important important for me, um, it was important for me to be there. There's no words that, uh, you know, that that change anything or that make it different or whatever. Um, But just being there um, was really important for me. 
and helpful. Uh, it's helpful for me that Kelly was is there with me. You know, I mean, she obviously she has to be there. <laughs> but, um, but even after after everything, you know, when we were in the hospital for like four days and and everything, um, I've noticed that <coughs> the people that that I'm closest to are people that. Um, that we can we can literally just sit somewhere and like while there are plenty of things that we do talk about and things that it's okay we can actually just sit somewhere and like not talk and it not be awkward we just sit and it's like okay you know because there's something there's something about just being there we're made to to be with each other God said in the beginning it's not good that man would be alone so he made a helper comparable equal to him that he he took a side took something from Adam and formed into this one (coughs) and so Jesus Isaiah 7 in that prophecy about Jesus says that his name would be Emmanuel. He'd be called Emmanuel. God with us. Now this was something that that the even the uh, the disciples, the 12 struggled with this idea at first. But Jesus was clear over and over and over again that he was God, right? Even at the last supper there in in John's gospel we find them sitting there and they're like just show us the Father and it will be enough, one of the disciples says, right? And Jesus' response is, is wonderful. <laughs> He's like, have I been with you so long and you still don't understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said, show us the way to God. And Jesus' response is, I am the way. It's not, not steps, not rules for you to try and keep. You come to me that you may have life. Because that life is in him. And he is the God who is with us. When the doctor says there's no heartbeat, he's there. Or when the doctor says it's cancer, he's there. Or when you're wrestling with how to manage your finances and, and you're arguing with your spouse, he's there. He's there when you don't know how to help your kids to understand. He's there. He's here. The disciples were troubled that Jesus said he was going to leave because they had come to know that he was God and to rely on him. They didn't have to worry about where to go or what to do. They just followed Jesus. That's all they did. (laughs) They just followed him. I mean, he's there. You just follow him, right? And so they were really upset when Jesus said, I'm going, and and where I'm going right now, you can't come right now, but you will come later. Because I go to prepare a place for you, he said. My father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I, I would have told you, he says. So they're upset. I'd be upset too. Then he said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to give you another helper. 
And then he, he then began to teach them about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that he would send. Jesus said, I have to go so that I can send him to you. It's like the temple <coughs> of the, the, the bodies of Christians had to be sanctified by the blood of Jesus before the Spirit came. Much like the temple in the Old Testament had to be sanctified by blood, the sprinkling of blood, before the Spirit came on the temple or on the tabernacle. You know. So, that's this, this final concept that I always I found so incredibly wonderful. Here's the... Um, my last um, thought here. Uh, when God said to Moses that he would lead the nation of Israel um, into the promised land, uh, he did so and he gave them all of these rules and regulations for how they would know that he was with them. Right? And Moses would say that. There was a time when God said, you guys go on, you keep going, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses is like, listen, just kill me now if you're not going to go with us. You know? <laughs> just, I don't want to go if you're not going to go with us. They were very aware of this concept of the presence of God because God had shown himself with power as he judged the, the uh, nation of Egypt uh, with the ten plagues. And then God gave them these instructions when they got to Mount Sinai of how to build this place where they would meet with God. So they built this tabernacle according to all the instructions they were given with all these rituals and all of this stuff. And God showed himself that he was there in two primary ways. Uh, I mean, there were were a bunch of them, but uh, daily God showed himself as a cloud that overshadowed the nation of Israel as they traveled through the desert. It's a fascinating idea. Of course, if you're out in the desert, a cloud covering over you sounds pretty great, (laughs) right? God uh, was exactly what they needed for traveling through the desert. And then at night when deserts get cold, God said that he would be a pillar of fire to them. So God showed himself to them both as cloud and as a, as a pillar of fire, um, as they traveled through the wilderness in that, with that place called the tabernacle, which was just a big old tent, right? It was a bunch of animal skins and fabrics laid over wooden boards that were overlaid with gold, essentially. Okay. Now later on, and this is where Second Chronicles 7 comes in. Later on, I mentioned to you that David said, God's in, this, in a tent. I'm in this really sweet palace. That's real dumb because God's way better than me. It's kind of David's idea here. God's awesome. I'm not so awesome. I'm going to build God a, a house to live in. God didn't tell him to do that, but he did. Apparently my TV went to sleep. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I've got a minute or so. So um, um, God didn't tell David to build a house for him. It was something David wanted to do. And uh, the prophet Nathan first said, yeah, go for it, man. And then God spoke to Nathan that night. He's like, nah, bro, he can't do it. (laughs) I'll let his son do it. Uh, By the way, this is slightly paraphrased version of these stories, if you hadn't noticed. Uh, (laughs) True. (laughs) So uh, he told uh, Nathan, uh, he told Nathan, nope. You, uh, David can't build it. You need to go back to David and tell David that he can't build it, but his son Solomon will build it. So David got all the materials, all the plans together, and left it for Solomon. Solomon then builds it. Okay, and I want to uh, I want to read uh, just a little bit there from Second Second uh, Chronicles um, chapter 
seven. I said seven, but I do want to read seven for just like a line. But I want to read uh, chapter six first of Second Chronicles because that's where he uh, does what he does there. He built the tab or the temple, and then uh, he built a, a the regular altar, and then he built the, he built this little mini altar. He had like the regular altar where they sacrificed the animals, and then he built like this little like little baby altar. And then Solomon got you. You gotta understand the weight of this. The altar was where they killed the animals, dude, to get the blood to offer. Right? It's where they made the offerings to God. Solomon then gets on this little baby altar, this little mini altar, and he kneels down. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. It's a baby altar. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, so this is different than like Molech, right? Who who actually yeah. was a, an all, a god that they sacrificed that some sacrificed Just babies small to. Altar, small yeah. altar. A smalter. <laughs> a smalter. A small altar. Okay, so Second Chronicles six uh, says this. Um, I'm only going to read part of it because it's kind of long. Um, <coughs> it even says it before that. Anyways, um, Solomon spoke and said this in verse 1. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an, an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. And the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father David, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to put to build a house that my name might be there, nor did I choose any man to be a ruler over my people Israel. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well in that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come after your body, or come from your body, he shall build the temple uh, for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David, and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel, and there I have put the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord which he made with the children of Israel. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court. And he stood on it, knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven. You see that he's up on this little tiny altar, smaller altar than the main one and he gets down on his knees and he raises his hands up and he said lord god of israel there is no god in heaven or on earth like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts you have kept what you promised your servant david my father you have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day therefore lord god of israel now Keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only 
if your sons take heed to their way, that they walk in, all, in my law as you have walked before me. And now, O Lord God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David. And he continues on there with his prayer. And then we get to um, chapter 7, verse 1, that says this. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When they first made the tabernacle, that big tent, God showed that he was with the nation of Israel by being a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. When the temple was built, God showed that he was with the nation of Israel, that he was there with them. Solomon gets on his knees and he prays this prayer and then God shows up with fire consuming the the sacrifice on the altar. He shows himself with fire and his glory, this weight, this Shekinah, this heaviness that makes it so that the priests can't even serve in the temple they just built. Because there's such a heaviness, a weight of the presence of God there. Israel knew that God was with them. But he was there in Jerusalem at the temple. And everybody knew that if you wanted to meet with God, you go to the temple in Jerusalem. Because that's where God was. And then a group of Jewish people who've been traveling around with this man who says he is the Messiah who claims to be God himself. He's left them and he said, I will send my spirit to you, but wait here in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And then in Acts chapter 2, they're all praying in an upper room and you know what happens? They hear a sound that sounds like a mighty rushing wind and God shows himself with these little divided Things, tongues of fire that come and sit where? Not on a building. Not on the tabernacle. Not on a tent that they made. Not not on the temple. But they go and sit on each one of their heads. Because they are the temple now. The followers of Jesus. You, you are the dwelling place of God on earth. Jesus is Emmanuel because wherever you are, there he is. He is with you always. In fact, the author of the Hebrews says it this way. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Hebrews 13 verse 5. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear What can man do to me? So when you're wondering about where to go or what to do, great news! God is with you, dear saint! When you're wondering about how to handle that situation at work, or when you're wrestling with stuff in dealing with your children or your, your finances or your spouse, or you're wondering about ministry or the church, God is with you! You are the temple of God's Spirit. And God works through you and through me. And He showed those Jewish believers that in Acts chapter 2 in such a powerful way. 
these people that knew the scriptures, man, they knew the way that God showed himself to Israel before. And then God shows himself to them in, in almost exactly the same way that they had read about with the, the tabernacle and they had read about with the temple. It's no wonder then that Paul could say, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, so don't defile it. <laughs> Jesus is Emmanuel. There really isn't anything else to say. But for me, I need to sit. There are times when I need to sit in the weight of that. When I'm troubled or I'm confused. And I just need to sit in the weight of the reality that God is with us. That we are not alone. And I'm so glad that he's with me. And that he is my helper. That I don't have to be afraid. Let's pray. Um, Father, would you please help us to trust you more? (coughs) To know that you're with us. To listen to you as we spend time in the scriptures. To hear your voice. To know that you sit with us in our grief and in our joys. That you are indeed acquainted with our grief. You understand our sorrows. You you carried them when you sent Jesus. Lord, help us to trust you and to rejoice in this fact that you sent Jesus to save. (laughs) To save his people from their sins. And you do rescue everyone who trusts you. So Lord, would you please make us people who trust you? All that we believe that Jesus died for our sins and was buried and raised from the dead. And we know you'd never leave us, that you'd never forsake us. Because you have forgiven our sin. Lord, would you be our help, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Listen. A little late, I apologize. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace, you guys. Yes, ma'am. I just have a question. I probably don't have an answer. Is Maybe I, I have to I have to read some more and talk to you about it. Ezekiel ten. Okay. okay. It's the uh, the one that they were sent to measure that he was sent to measure. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Thank <laughs> you.